Glad you guys are here this morning. Man, it's, it's, I always, anytime I look up when I stand from a pulpit, I just get amazed at the fact that there are so many people just coming to be with the Lord. <laughs> like on Sunday, you could be doing anything else. Uh, you could probably be on your boat right now, or you could be at your cabin right now, and, um, but you decide to be here and worship with the family of God. I think that's just amazing, and, and Stephen Sheely is doing this right now. Um, but if you're visiting for the first time, my name is Josh Williams, or if you've been visiting a couple times and you've never seen me before, my name is Josh Williams. I'm uh, Christ Redeemer's uh, church's uh, church planning resident. Um, I think the first one, <laughs> and hopefully more. That would be awesome if God would just continue to expand his kingdom through church planting, especially through CRC. Um, but I'm up here because I get the privilege of filling in for Pastor Brett. He is alive. He is just right there. Um, he got the chance to get away and seek the Lord on just where the Lord is leading us, and that's just, it's good. It's good to give him that kind of space. Uh, but I get to fill in. I'm not going to um, lead us in Acts. I'm going to actually do a one-off sermon. So for us this morning, I'm going to be preaching from Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. If you have a Bible, open up there. If you don't and you have a cool Bible app, because that's what you do, um, go ahead. That's not a sin. You can totally do that. You can totally do that here. But I'm going to, um, as you get there, I'm going to pray to get us started. So let's do it. Well, Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you speak to us. That throughout history, you've spoken, you've spoken to your people. And even when you, it seems like you didn't have a people, God, you revealed yourself through a word, and you revealed yourself through acting in history. Thank you so much that even today, uh, almost 2,000 years from your son Jesus dying on a cross, you still speak today that you give us your word, that we might be able to see not just what you've done through Jesus Christ, but actually what you've done from the beginning, that you show us that you spoke the word, uh, you spoke, you, you created the world by speaking a word, God, and you've just always been there um, with us revealing yourself, and God, I ask, God, that, that in the mighty ways that you've revealed yourself in history, God, that you would do that today, that this morning you would show yourself to be real that you would show yourself to be present, that you would show Jesus to be more than a teacher, but that you would show your son Jesus to be the living God who died for us, that you would show your son Jesus to be real to us this morning. He's not a fable. He's not, just, he's not a story. He historically real. And so, Father, I pray that you would center our hearts on you this morning, God, that you, that you would open our eyes to what you are saying through your word, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying through your word, and Lord, that you would be with me as I proclaim your word, Lord, that I would disappear, and that it would almost be like as if you're speaking through through me, through your word. And so, God, not knowing where everybody comes from today, not knowing what people bring in, but God, would you just let your word be a healing balm to our souls this morning? And so, Lord, we need you, I need you, and would you be with us this morning? In your name I pray. Amen. Starting in verse 1 in chapter 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace, a peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And that's, 
There's the word of God. Suffering is, I think, probably a four-letter word in our culture today. Uh, we, don't, we don't use the word suffering. I think, actually, you can see it expressed in the way that, that people live. It's expressed in our actions. For example, on a very surface level, for some, suffering is when um, you pay for two-day shipping from Amazon. And you don't get it in two days. You get it on the third day. I mean, you pay $100 for two-day shipping, and then you get it on the third day. That's anarchy, isn't it? I mean, I mean you, just God forbid there's a scratch in the box. And you get it on the third day. But that's not what we're talking about, right? That's not what we're talking about. Going a little deeper, suffering is a very real thing. On some level, older people are experiencing the pain of their children and grandchildren not getting along. Married couples are experiencing brokenness in their marriage in such a way that there is lots of discord in the home for some, some even threatening divorce. For young adults experiencing lack of community, the longing to be in relationship for some, or even feelings of aimlessness because the job that you're working in right now wasn't what, what you went to school for. Teenagers experiencing a lack of friendships, feelings of being irrelevant because there's something in your life right now that's not the same as everybody else. Real struggle. Even little children. Even though most of their life seems like it's a lot of fun, for them there's tension uh, with sibling relationships. I mean, siblings can just be knuckleheads sometimes, right? But there's real tension for them. There's real tension between siblings. It's just really hard to get along with our siblings. Even though we know they're awesome, we just believe that they, we just feel like there's something wrong with them and not with us. You doing 101 activities to stay active and, to be honest, school is just not that awesome to you. It feels like suffering to little children. But I think if we peeled back the layer a little more, suffering sometimes seems... I think in our minds, connected with the absence of God. As if our suffering means that God is somehow upset with us. That we make this connection as if we're, when we're suffering, he's rejected us. As if when we're suffering, we make this connection that he somehow has just left us. Only when we're suffering. And so we believe in the gospel. I think we believe in the gospel. We believe in the truths of the gospel. We believe that sin has created such a broken relationship with God that it really has led to a broken understanding of ourselves, a broken view of ourselves, a, a broken relationships with other people, and even a broken and distorted view of the world. I mean, that's how, that's how nasty sin has really corrupted the whole creation, not just us. And so we even believe that God declares us justified through Jesus Christ, don't we? We believe that through faith in Jesus Christ, God has sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for us. We, I think we believe that. But I think sometimes, somehow, there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect. Somehow, there's a disconnect that whenever we go through suffering, whenever suffering meets us, it just unhinges us like a broken door, doesn't it? It somehow, it somehow unnerves us to the point that our bodies just begin to malfunction. But if you've gone through suffering, you know what that feels like. And so in a very real way, suffering begins to make us wonder, God, are you even, are you even here right now? Are you, are you even present with me right now? Do you even hear my prayers? Do you, do you even notice that my tears are my food? Do you know that my inner grumblings at night is the, like, the best efforts I can do to go to sleep? Do you know that, God, are you, are you just available to me right now? Have you left me? But I, believe, but I believe our text this morning, Romans 5, it meets us in that place of painful wondering. 
It meets us and it helps us to see that we can rejoice in future hope. I think we've got that down packed, that there's this future hope that we look to. But also, this text helps us to see that we can rejoice right now in our present suffering. Somehow, some way, by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can rejoice in our present suffering whenever it comes. So if suffering hasn't touched you yet, it'll come for you. And, if it, and when it does come for you, this truth will be true for you and available to you in those moments. But if you've been through suffering, there's a way that you can rejoice in your present suffering. You won't be like Superman and it won't, it won't feel like it won't touch you. No, you will be able to, in the moment, go through it and feel the present joy and hope of the Lord somehow by His grace. And this text reveals that this morning. And so starting in verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Christians in Rome, they were really composed of both Jewish and, and Gentile Christians. And so they were well acquainted, acquainted with suffering on two levels. On one level from the outside and then, and then on another level from within. And so from the outside, because Roman government and most of its citizens had a long history of treating the Jewish people with hostility. So for the Jewish people, many of them, at the time of this letter, they were slaves to, the, to many of the Roman people. And they were previously cast out twice by Rome. And at the same time, their way of life was attractive. Even though they were cast off a couple of times, their way of life was attractive. They were actually attracting Roman citizens to their way of life to the point that Rome was beginning to be uneasy about who these people were. It almost felt scary to the Roman government. And at the same time, from the outside in, the Gentile Christians, they, they would have looked like they were associated with Jewish um, with Judaism, just by the way that they lived, just by hanging out with them, they were associated. And so at times they had similarities. Plus, they claimed to have a king. And that's scary language to a government that has a king already. Very scary news. It smelt like a potential insurrection. It smelt like this movement that was a threat to Roman government. And so if you haven't noticed about Rome, they were really uneasy people politically. I mean, there was always something going on. Someone was backstabbing somebody else, someone was putting the poison in the juice very unsteady. So for Rome, they had their eyes on people. But on the inside, on the inside, there was suffering because there was a relational conflict between Jewish and Gentile Christians. There was issue of equality. So during Paul's time, the Jews gave this air, this attitude of superiority and even exclusivity. They were God's people who had the law, right? They, they had God's law. They, nobody else did. They had it, and they put pressure on Gentile Christians to have to fulfill all the law, all the rules. And if you've been following with us in Acts, Brett's been putting it this way. It was a Jesus plus gospel. So for example, they would, it would almost be like as if they said, if you want God to be pleased with you, you have to follow all the rules. It's quite a big burden. But for the Apostle Paul, you have nothing else but the, but the gospel to make you acceptable to God. Paul explains the gospel very clearly in the first three chapters in Romans. And so I'm going to take us actually down that road briefly. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. But I'm going to take us down some quick bullet points so that we can, I think, see what the gospel is from this text because it helps us to see what Paul is saying in, in verse 1 in chapter 5. And so it's first an issue of righteousness for God. We are unrighteous because we exchange the truth of God for a lie. Here's what's interesting about that. We would rather love and worship the things God created rather than worship and love the God who created them crazy, but that's from chapter 1. 
We are unrighteous because we fail to be doers of God's law. That's in Romans 2. And so it's not just enough to hear it and to know it and to have it, but to be righteous, we actually have to obey the whole thing completely. All the time. Not just once. Not just getting a certificate and passing a test. test All the time. And James would say, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. That's what James would say. And so I think for us, there's, there's a real warning here. I think there's a real warning because you can know the Bible well and you can know lots of theology and think that God is really impressed with you. Just because you memorize a lot of scripture. Just because you know a lot of theology. But what you know doesn't give you righteousness. What you know doesn't save you. Just by having a lot of head knowledge, it does not mean that God is pleased with you. So there's a real warning for us who, who find identity in just being able to know a lot. But the law doesn't save us. Instead, what Romans teaches us is that the, the law reveals that we are unrighteous and under God's judgment. It exposes what sin is and that sin resides in us. That's what the law does. It exposes that we lack the necessary righteousness to be declared justified. But the gospel says that we, there's a righteousness apart from the law. There's a righteousness that we can have. There's a way for us to be righteous only by faith in Jesus and his death for us and his atoning death for us. Only by faith in that we can be righteous. And so by faith in Jesus, God looks at Jesus's Check this, substitutionary, this idea of switching places, I'll define it in a second, but substitutionary death for us and declares us justified. So substitutionary means that Jesus, he took our guilt and death on him, and God gives us his righteousness. He, he imputes it to us. He, he puts it on us. And justified is really fancy language for saying that God has removed the guilt and the punishment of death from us. So he declares this, Cassius, he declares us righteous through Jesus, despite the fact that we really are not righteous on our own. Like there's nothing in us righteous, but God declares us righteous by looking at Jesus because our faith is in Jesus. That's good news. And so he sees me, he sees you as meeting the righteous requirement of the law through Jesus. And so when Paul is talking about justified in verse, five, in verse 1 in chapter 5, he's talking about all of that. He spent the whole time just, just giving this argument for the gospel, and he's talking about all that. So when he says, therefore, since we have been justified, he's saying chapters 1 through 3, people. Chapters 1 through 3, all of that. And he is, he's referencing that whole thing. So Paul is saying, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, if you're dependent on Jesus' death for you, then you are justified. And according to this verse, if you are justified, you have, capital H-A-V-E, I spelled that right, correct? You have peace with God. You have peace with God. You have peace with God. Not later, not some other time, right now. What time is it? Now. Not sometimes later and then sometimes here or sometimes here, now. Right now, peace with God. And so I don't, if this is not good news to you, I don't know what is. Because for me, I want nothing. I want nothing but the gospel. 
Without Jesus, I have this broken relationship with God that really fractures everything else in my life. I have a broken view of myself, a broken understanding. I think I see myself clearly, but I really don't, all because of sin. I have broken relationships with people because of my broken relationship with God. I even have a distorted view to the rest of creation, to the grass, to the trees. I don't treat them rightly because of my broken relationship with God. Sin has really fractured all of the human experience, all because of sin. And so I think if you ask me, I think sin has really done a doozy on us, hasn't it? Sin has really done a doozy. It really has spread its nasty fingers. I mean, really nasty. I mean, just the most grimy, ugly fingers all over creation. So this piece that Paul's talking about, it's a restoration in relationship. A restoration in relationship. A once fractured negative relationship, by the grace of God, turned into this healed, positive relationship with God. All by faith in Jesus. All by faith. Not because of you, not because of how much you can bench, not because of how fast you are at spelling something, not because of how great you are in math. Nothing. All because of faith in Jesus Christ. Not because of your spiritual resume, not because of how much scripture you know, all because of faith in Jesus Christ. Not because of how many ministries you have done, not because of how many small groups you have led, not because you've been to seminary, all through Jesus Christ. All through Jesus Christ. Romans 5.10 would say that while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So God did not make us enemy. We declared God as our enemy, and we warred with him. That's how we're enemies with God he did not make himself our enemy. We declared war. So of course he's going to fight back, right? I mean, who wouldn't fight back? But, but God, the way that he fights back is through the death of his son. And so we not only have peace, but verse 2, through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So this access here is speaking of a privilege of approach to a person of high rank. This distinguishes us from God. Isaiah 66, 1 says of God, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. God as king sits on the throne. Heaven is his throne. And just think about that. That is a really big throne. That's a really big seat. And the earth is his footstool. That's some really big feet. Okay? That's some really big feet. Heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. And we need somebody to bring us to him. And so who am I? Who are you that we would be able on our own to come to God unfeathered? Unfettered. Not unfeathered, unfettered. It's two different things. That massive throne, that massive footstool, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big God. That's a pretty high majesty king. And by faith in Jesus Christ, we get to stand before him. Wow. Wow. Through Christ, we have access. And this is my favorite part. It's not just a one-time access. It's not like a one-time VIP card. Verse 2 says, Into this grace in which we stand, present, continuous, capital S-T-A-N-D, we can stay. We have constant access to him. We don't have to go. There's not a time limit on our time with him. It's not like a date. It's not like a time track. We can stand. He never gets annoyed with us. He never rolls our, his eyes at us. He never gets sick of us. His affections never change 
for us, for you. We stand in this relationship, and we know by, by faith in Christ, because of this peace we have with him, because we stand in this grace, we always have his ear. We always have his attention. Warren, uh, Warren W. Wearsby says this about this passage, The child of a king can enter his father's presence no matter how the child looks. The word access here means entrance to the king through the favor of another. So my oldest two, for example, they always, they know that they have unlimited access to me. I mean, my six-month-old does too, but he sleeps all the time and he eats and he's just kind of there, right? He just, he's, just, he's, just, he's just fat and happy, honestly. He just enjoys life, right? But my oldest two, they know that they have unlimited access. They know that at any given moment, they can tackle me and they know that they're going to be loved. I mean, they might get slammed in a, in a pillow cushion, but... They know that it's out of love, right? But they know they have unlimited access. At any moment, they can tackle me, and they know that I'm never just going to grit my teeth at them. They know that I'm going to embrace them with a massive hug. And so Brett has said last week, there is nothing that you can do that is going to make God love you more. And just a little spin, the opposite is true. In Christ, there is nothing that you can do that that is going to change God's affection for you. Let me say that clearly. There's nothing that you can do that is going to change God's affections for you. So it's why Romans 8.1 would say of the believer, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. So because we have peace, because we have access and we stand in grace, we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of of God. The hope that Paul is talking about here is a future hope, a hope that, that is guaranteed, right? We will stand with Christ fully righteous as he is, no longer falling short. We will stand with Christ reflecting God the way that we were fully intended to reflect him, no longer falling short of the glory of God, no longer failing to live as we ought to. We will stand with Christ fully as he is. We will measure up because of Christ. So there is no more fear of judgment in our hearts towards Christ. There is no more fear that God is going to look down on us. But there is joy, there's excitement when we think about Christ coming now with our faith in Christ by this peace and this grace that we stand in. We are excited for him to come. We are not afraid. It's a guaranteed hope. So it's not like, it's not like, like being a Vikings fan, right? Where you kind of have this wishful hope and you think, oh man, hopefully, hopefully one day they're going to win the Super Bowl. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry Caleb. But... Um, it's not that kind of hope. It's not a wish for hope. No, this is a hope that we know that we have it. It's guaranteed. It's promised and it's guaranteed. And so just, I think just sit in that for a second and breathe that in. Let that rest on your heart this morning. Because if your faith is in Jesus Christ, hear me. Do you believe that this is true of you? Like I said earlier, we believe the gospel, we believe these things are true, but if your faith is in Christ, do you really believe this is true of you? That through faith in Christ, you have peace. You have constant access. You constantly stand in his grace. That you have unfading hope. Even if you're not a a believer in Christ, do you know that if you would believe in this, that this would be yours? Do you know that this would be yours if you would just put your faith in Christ? This is the kind of hope I think that changes you. This is the kind of hope that makes you want to sell everything give, and give it all to Christ. 
This is the kind of hope that would make you be willing to be a fool to your neighbor because you regard God's view of you more than you regard their view of you. This is the kind of faith that would make you want to engage with your neighbor more and more because you're consumed with the love of Christ for you, no longer concerned about how they see you. And so maybe there are some of you in here who don't believe this. Maybe there are some of you in here this morning who don't really put your faith in Christ, but there's something in you when you're hearing this that I want that. Like, I want peace with God. I want to stand. I want to have access to this grace. I want Christ. And from me to you, I would tell you this morning, just stop and close your eyes and begin to ask Christ for that grace. I don't care if you don't listen to another word of this sermon. Stand and sit there and ask Christ for that grace. You have nothing to lose. There's no, more, there's no more time that you could lose except for to stand here and be before Christ and ask him for his grace. If you need to do that, do that. You don't have to listen to anything else in this sermon. But take some time to do business with the Lord if that's what you need to do. So that's rejoicing in future hope. It's just the first half of the sermon. <laughs> Rejoice in future hope. I can't stress how important these verses are for the next set of verses. I can't stress how important this is for these next verses, for the next set of words you're going to hear, because it's, it's, it's almost like Paul is giving us a lens to view life through. This is a lens for us to look at the next set of verses. The gospel is like a lens that really clears up how we understand and really interpret life. That's what Paul just gave us. It gives us the lens of the gospel. It gives us this new perspective when we can look at our suffering and rejoice in our present suffering. So look at verse 3, the first half. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, it says. So if I have a never-ending peace with God through Jesus by faith, then I can look at my sufferings different. If I have peace, constant access, if I, that peace never leaves me, then I can look at my sufferings different and I can be confident that God is not mad at me. Super confident. If I stand in God's grace and have constant access to the Father, then I know confidently that God has not left me. That he is with me. He hears me right now. He is here present with me right now. And so check this. Jewish thought at that time of this writing they would have perceived suffering and tribulation as if you had broken God's covenant with promises. That if you, had, if, you, if, if, if you had felt like God wasn't there, if you, if you were suffering, it would have seemed as if that you had sinned against God. And so you can look at the book of Job over and over and see that his friends assumed that because of his misfortune, it was because of his sin. But Paul is de- debunking that right now. Paul says rejoice in suffering. He looks at suffering in the face and says rejoice. So rejoice in this passage, it literally means boasting or bragging. An expression of confidence that God is able to do what he promised. A confidence in that peace with God, access into this grace in which we stand through Christ is a promise. It's a reality. It's something that we breathe in every day by faith in Christ. And so our suffering doesn't take away the reality of God's love then. Our suffering becomes the grounds through which God demonstrates his love for us more and more. Do you hear that? Our suffering doesn't say that God doesn't love us. It doesn't say that he's not loving us anymore. It becomes the grounds in which he demonstrates, demonstrates, shows that he loves us more and more. And so Paul tells us why we can boast in our suffering. Starting in the second half of verse 3, Paul says, Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So just to be nerdy really quick, let's define those three words. Suffering, endurance, and character. I think if we can define those, it'll help us to give a handle on what's happening here, this process, it seems, that's before us. Suffering carries out this idea of trouble that causes direct... Um, or, yeah, suffering carries us out this idea of trouble that causes direct suffering. It's this pain that we experience because we're going through troubles. Usually, catch this, usually, but not limited to persecution. Because I think our first world context, right, our first world uh, Western context would actually just make this hard to understand because we're not fleeing persecution all the time, normally. We're not, we're not running from being hung. We're not running from being burned at the stake. We're not, we're not running from people trying to kill us for faith in Jesus. But for the believers in Paul's time, that was a reality. Being disowned from family members because faith was in Christ running for their lives because they worship Jesus. That's just to name a few. But that, that might not be our everyday experience. Maybe this will hit home. Sometimes uh, something in us knows that life in the fallen world, it's not as it should be. Like what we're experiencing, all of it, our whole experience, this, something in us tells us that this is not as it should be. Romans 8 talks about the, the creation itself groaning, waiting for God to reveal the sons of God, waiting for God to bring his son Jesus. Like right now, if you look at those that nice green stuff that's going to go away during uh, the winter. I'm sorry to say that, but that nice green stuff outside, that stuff is groaning, waiting for God to reveal the sons of God. And so it seems that suffering, suffering seems to be this thing that we experience that causes us to doubt God's goodness because life is not offering the way that it's supposed to. Because of sin, we don't experience life as it should be. So the mom and dad who have four children, could be, could be more, could be less, but they have four children, and they're, they're trying to parent really well. That's, that's hard work for all you guys who have parent, uh, kids. You know that, right? At some point, you kind of have felt that you wanted to lay holy hands on your kids, right? Um, but it's hard work. It's hard work. That's real suffering right there. The single who has made this godly choice to wait and even have standards for their relationship, there's some real sufferings of loneliness there. For a teenager, you guys are not absolved from this. You've made choices to live out your faith wherever you are, at school, at work, and it might cost you some friendships. It might cost people to look at you differently. But there's some real suffering in all of that. Marriage is, okay, so marriage is awesome. It's a great gift. But here's the thing about this. You've got two sinners locked in a room. People that can go at it at any time. You could be a believer, but have regular arguments every day in your home. Some real suffering there. Or for the husband or wife who has a spouse that's not following Christ, Christ and you have children. You could be living out, trying to live out your faith in every part of your life and your spouse doesn't support it. You could be trying to raise your kids in the ways of the Lord and your spouse doesn't support it. You feel alone in that adventure. There could be real suffering there. And that's not the whole list. Because I, I don't have enough time. Life does not permit us to talk about joblessness or, or loneliness because people can just be nasty sometimes. Or, or even sickness when you've been busting your chops to stay healthy. Running all those marathons and all of a sudden there's a heart attack. Or sudden deaths in a family. And on and on and on and on. I mean, we think, I think we all know stories of people who, who are going through suffering and it seems like they shouldn't. 
But whether you are feeling persecution or it's having to die to a personal preference, we all experience suffering that causes us inward unrest and causes us to have to lean into Christ for help. So the call of Christ is to die to self, right? With the call to live a Christward life, it comes suffering. You don't have to be a Christian to suffer, but the way you perceive your suffering then looks different. So I think the next two words are going to make, next, make sense now, now that we kind of have that massive definition of suffering. Endurance means steadfastness, this idea of remaining, uh, remaining under difficulty without giving in. You remain steady. You remain there under the stress, under the pressure, under the heat of suffering that you're going through. You keep trusting in God's promises when the temperature gets really spicy. And character is this idea of going through an experience or a test that brings proof of what's already there. It's proven character. It's kind of like purifying gold. You turn up the heat and the impurities, they, it sheds away, but the pure gold rises to the surface. Now listen to this. The gold that's already there rises to the surface. Not something new, not something you add, not something you go and buy and boom, it's there. The gold that's already there, when the heat is hot, rises to the surface and all the impurities go away. So in light of Christ, this, it's this new character that Christ has put in you at salvation is progressively working in you. It's this new creation in us that we are feeding rather than feeding the old man that we were. And so let's put that all together. We can rejoice in our suffering because the troubles we go through teach us to hold onto Christ more and more. We, we learn to be more Christ-centered rather than me-dependent. We become more Christ-dependent rather than me-dependent in that process. And the more we endure through suffering, it pulls out of us the character that Christ is working in us. The character that Christ has put in us. And the character produces more joyful hope in Christ. The end result of suffering is more hope. The end result of suffering is more hope. So through Christ, my suffering then, it's actually not an enemy. I don't need to be afraid of it. My suffering becomes the key for more hope. So I'm not saying that we need to love pain. I'm not saying we need to pursue it like a nasty fight. No, what that means is that I am embracing my suffering and seeing it as a means of God producing more joy and hope in me. So God is not at all surprised at the suffering that comes our way. It wasn't like he said, holy me, I didn't see that coming. I just didn't see that coming. No, he saw it coming. He ordained it. And he is with you there in it. It's why Paul would say in, in verse 5, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into us through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So do not, or does not put us to shame means that we won't be disappointed. We will not be disappointed. We will not be ashamed at the end result of suffering leading to hope. We just won't. We won't go through the whole process like, man, I don't like what just happened there. I don't like the, at the, at the, the product of the hope and the character that's been built in me because I love Christ more. We just won't be disappointed in that. Because the end result of hope, it's an occasion where the Holy Spirit reminds the believer of the love that God has poured into them at the beginning of their salvation. Through your suffering, God is reminding you more and more of the love that he's poured into you and reminding you that he is there and so in John 16, Jesus says that. 
It was good that he returns back to the Father so that he can send the Holy Spirit to us. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. It is God. He is God. It's how Jesus would be able to say at the end of the Great Commission, Behold, I am with you always. Jesus didn't say, hey, peace out, I'm gone. No, he's, he said, I'm going to be with you always. Yes, he ascended to the Father, but he sends his Spirit to be with us so that he is present with us always. So the way that God is able to remind us of his love for us is, is by giving us his Spirit. And the Spirit is continually reminding us of God's love for us. So suffering becomes an occasion where God reminds us more and more of his love for us. He meets his sons and daughters in suffering and says, Son, daughter, I love you. I'm with you. I'm present. Keep looking right at me. Don't take your eyes off of me. I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. I hear you. I hear you crying. I hear you eating your tears as food. I'm with you right now. Always. And so, friends, I think God does not just use our suffering. He's not just, he's not just passive waiting for suffering to happen and then he's going to be present and act. Because of this text, I think it shows us that he is actively present with us. He's with us and, and using the suffering to create more joy and hope. So suffering doesn't mean that God is absent or that he's rejected us. But through our suffering, through the lens of the gospel, God is actually, he's actually affirming his love for us. And so older people, look at your suffering and know that God hasn't left you yet. Young adults, look at your suffering and know that God is producing more and more joy in you through your suffering. And kids, know that God wants to demonstrate his love for you more and more he wants to demonstrate his power in you more and more. He, he's doing that right now, and he is real. He's this big, mighty, massive God, and you can trust him. And teenagers, know that you're not alone in your suffering. When you feel like you have no friends, and you have, feel like people have left you because your faith is in Christ, or even just because people are just nasty, know that it can be nasty, not all the time. I, I don't think everybody in the whole world is nasty. I'm sorry, I just don't want to clarify that. But, um, but sometimes teenagers can be nasty. I used to be a teenager, believe it or not. But know that God is present with you. And that he's giving you what you need in the moment. So my hope for all of us this morning is that we would look God square in the face through the lens of the gospel and know that he is always good to the believer. He is always there with you in your suffering. You can trust him. And God is working for your joy, for your hope, through suffering. And so maybe... Maybe you need to just sit a little longer. Maybe in these next couple songs that Levi's going to play, maybe you just need to close your eyes and not actually stand up. Maybe you need to just do some business with the Lord. Maybe you need to have someone pray for you and say, and because maybe you're feeling, I don't feel this right now. And I know the gospel, but I need help. I need grace to feel this, and I need some help. Maybe you need to ask your friend next to you to pray for you. Maybe, maybe you don't even know the person next to you, and you just need them to pray for you. Or maybe you need to ask a pastor to help you pray. We're not so structured in our service that we just can't move during the songs. We can get up and do business with the Lord. Or maybe you just need to wait until the end of the service and just go in your car and just stay there and just pray. 
don't worry if it looks awkward. Maybe you need to do that and just go. Just sit and you just need to have a boo-hoo cry session with the Lord. That's okay. But whatever it is, if you need God's grace and you need to just step away and you need God to help you to feel this, go and do business with the Lord. So may God, may God, may God really help you, I think, feel his love through the hearing of the gospel. May his spirit pour his love into you, your hearts this morning, even if you feel like you don't need it this morning. But may he do that. May God show himself to be real and present and powerful in your life through your suffering. And may God give you this boldness, this courage to say suffering in its face. Bring it on. Because you know that God is going to pour more love into your hearts in those moments. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you, you do that, that you, you give, us these, give us these promises that we can bank on. You give us these promises that, that we can really trust you and God, that you're able to do what you said you would do. God, thank you, God, that you're not flaky. Thank you, God, that you, you're not temperamental. Thank you, God, that despite our sin, that you say there's no condemnation. Thank you that despite our sin, you, you stay with us. And, and Lord, would you, would you constantly remind us of this? Would you constantly remind us that through faith in Christ, we have peace in which we stand, that we have access to you all the time. And, and may that really give us boldness. May that give us permission. May we feel that we can actually go to you and you're not ashamed of us coming to ask you for more help. That you don't expect us to, to pull ourselves by our bootstraps and just to kind of get through it. No, you, you want us to come to you. You don't get frustrated when we come to you and so help us to find joy and freedom in what you've provided for us in the gospel. In your name I pray. Amen. Love you guys.